Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Huh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. Are you tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? Well, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just watch me love myself That's all I want Got what I want That's all I want I'm not sorry I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about reality dating shows like The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about the questions that you have for us. That's right. Today is Mailbag Day, and we have gathered a bunch of questions that you, our dear listeners, graciously sent over email and DM, and we'll be discussing all of it on the podcast, our thoughts about reality TV in general, about the Bachelor franchise specifically, and we'll end with some more personal questions. Before we get into it, over on Rich Text this week, subscribers got an episode all about friendship. I had so much fun discussing a lot of questions about adult friendship, how to maintain friendships through differing life stages, how to make friends, how to deal with friend breakups. Had a great time discussing all of this with Normal Gossip host Kelsey McKinney. And you can find that conversation over at clarendemma.substack.com. Just going to say, if you are not a subscriber, a paid subscriber, uh, now is a great time to sign up for a yearly subscription because we are running a 20% off fall fun sale. Yes, until the best September discount 20th. of the season. <laughs> Treat yourself. Treat okay? yourself. <laughs> I swear. I swear it's fun. Love that topic, though. It's so important to talk about like friendships and as we grow out of them and into them. Exactly. And it really ended up dovetailing nicely because New York Mag just dropped a cover story that Allison P. Davis wrote all about the way that babies change friendship dynamics, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, is something that I've talked to you about, Lee. Claire and I have talked about a lot. So, uh, yeah, just... It's a win-win. I have great timing is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get into the questions that you all sent in for me and Lee to answer. I split them up into a handful of categories. So we'll start with kind of like 
work slash podcasting questions, then get into reality TV, uh, and then end with, yeah, some some personal questions. Let's kick it off. So first with the podcast questions, uh, is watching TV still fun or does it feel like work? Great question. <laughs> great question. Big question and great question. And a related question was also asked, which is, do you guys really still enjoy The Bachelor as a fan or does it feel more like a gig? Now, I, yeah, I used to feel like when I covered TV at HuffPost, I used to, you know, love watching TV. I watched all the shows. Uh, Once I started covering it, it gets a little bit more stressful where you're not watching it as, you know, just a viewer enjoying, you know, a night relaxing with your partner, your friends. It's more like work focused. So you get a little bit more stress. It's not as like easygoing. That's how I felt about TV in general. Um, I don't know how you feel about covering television. No, I feel exactly the same way. I mean, here's the thing. Labor is labor. Mm -hmm. Once the thing you love becomes your labor, it doesn't mean that it's not work. And I think that there is this idea that if you do something creative or you do something that, that seems fun for your job, that you should just be grateful for it and it's no longer a job. And I'm here to say... It is a job. It does change the way that you consume television. As you said, Lee, it's a lot less relaxing. I am no longer a person who can like go to a watch party Mm -hmm. for things that I'm covering because then I'm just shushing everyone the whole time saying, I need to take notes. You're like, I need to pay attention. What did they say? Rewind. (laughs) Um, So I think the way that I've tried to mitigate this, because I do still want to bring that feeling of joy into my TV and culture coverage That's why a lot of the things that we cover, I like to watch once, just letting it wash over me, no notes, not trying to retain every detail, and then watch a second time Mm -hmm. with more of an eye like for that work. And I think that that has helped me still be able to enjoy the experience of consuming these things. But you look, inevitably... It's work. It's going to change. It's work. It's work. It's, work. it's a job. I'm it's lucky a job. It's enough. a really great job, yeah. but it's a job. I'm lucky enough that now, you know, I just get to pop in on maternity leave and help you guys fill in. So I still get my my Bachelor Mondays or Thursdays soon. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Thursday. We're all confused. Yeah. But remember the days we used to just drink wine and like invite friends over, have some apps. Like I never have anyone in the room with me when I watch The Bachelor anymore. I'm like, no, I know. I used to be like, yeah, let's all get together. We'll talk over the entire episode. We'll get drunk. Now I'm like sober with my seltzer, like <laughs> tap, tap, tap. Like <laughs> Telling my partner to like shut up, yeah. breathing too loudly because I can't hear the proposal. The occasional ice uh. cream. Uh Exactly. But yeah, I still say we're like fans of the Bachelor franchise. Yes, absolutely. You got to be to do this work, you know? You got to like the show to want to talk about it all the time. Luckily, this season, charity season, really sparked that joy again. So we'll see. Let's. I have hope. That's such a good point. I feel like some seasons, I think, if I'm being honest, if I wasn't covering the show... I would have just been tapped out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, playing the long game, charity and charity season really brought back that joy. And I truly, I truly enjoyed both watching and covering it. Yes. 
Another question we got is, are you planning more rom-com rewatches? Well, look at that. The answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. We're going to be doing one next week, actually. So that's super exciting. Just a little pop in. Uh, And then definitely over the holidays, we will be doing a spate of rom-com rewatches as well. I think we actually kind of consider those to be part of our bread and butter, our core content now. I think we want the podcast to be about reality TV, obviously, about The Bachelor specifically, but also about powerful romantic narratives and what these what these mainstream pop culture romantic narratives taught us, say about us, say about the way, say about the way that we look at love and courtship and sex and marriage and all of these things. And so for us, um, romantic movies really fit the bill. I am so excited. I have not done a rom-com rewatch, so I am so excited because be I love listening to them. It's the best. And any it's excuse, gonna be, gonna right? Any excuse to watch <laughs> our favorite rom-coms, sign yeah, me up. Or ones that we forgot were terrible and that's fun in a different way. Yes. It's fun either way is the truth. Now, um, yeah, I'm going to have to wrap my up. head around taking notes while ra- watching, <laughs> you know, my comfort TV. I feel like it's a little easier because at least some of those movies I've already seen a million times. Yeah. So you don't have to sit there and be <laughs> like, not the fresh. character's name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Another really interesting question that we got was, I believe from an English professor who wrote in, do you use chat GPT or AI artificial intelligence to prep or write episodes? And then what are your thoughts on AI in writing in general? Yeah, we do we, not. We do not. We, do not. we write all our own scripts um, and we do all it's our own press. We don't have a little is, yeah robot <laughs> helping us out. I don't, We also don't have a whole research team, like yeah. some podcast. It, it is the two of us. It's us. Um, that's it. And I think that AI in writing is, that's a huge topic. Um, And I don't think I have any like definitive thoughts on it other than the fact that if it does have a place, I think that that needs to be highly, highly regulated. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is, look, that's a big part of what the WGA strike is about. It's a big part of what TV writers are fighting for in for a fair contract with AMPTP is the regulation of AI. And I don't think anyone is saying AI cannot touch the industry, but the idea that AI would be trained on the work of human writers and then ape that work and take their jobs, um, I think like on a labor level, I have a huge issue with that. And also just in considering what writing is and what art is, um, it makes me feel uncomfortable, the idea that humans wouldn't be centered in that process. And again, that doesn't mean that like new tech has no place or couldn't be used in a way to like inspire creativity or, you know, make certain parts of that job a little easier, like note-taking. But yeah, I I certainly am not interested in relying on AI to produce our our news stories or our novels or 
our TV shows. Yeah. As a writer, it's just exactly what you said. It's just, that's our art. That's, that's what we grow up aspiring to be is a writer and studying and, you know, using our voice to, you know, voice opinions and write about not only television, but things that we care about. I just can't imagine a place where I'd feel comfortable with AI, like taking over our industry. But, you know, I do see it in ways of like transcription and exactly. things like that. That is helpful. That that speeds the process for a writer or at least aids them in that way. But yeah, in terms of writing content, that would be extremely disappointing. And I think yeah, we these strike that's what the strikes are all about. I think you're making you're drawing an interesting distinction, which is, yeah, you're articulating it well, which is like, how can these new technologies be useful tools to bolster the art rather than the way that I think a lot of big corporations look at it, which is how can we subsume jobs and not have to pay humans and let this tech do their work for them? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that that is very disturbing and that's not the right motivate. That's like a craven capitalist motivation for developing this tech. Yeah. We're seeing it and, even in like restaurants, you know, like I miss the, f- sometimes yeah. I miss the face to face contact, you know, contact of a waiter, waiter or waitress. And now there's just like screens where you can order and they drop the food off. And it can be very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, alienating. Yes. Yeah. It can be deeply, deeply alienating. And like, look, we're not Luddites. We use tech to do our work. We came up in online digital media. um, And yet, I just think that there has to be regulation. There has to be a line. And like what we've seen, you know, look at like Gizmodo, like geo media. Yeah. We're losing, Uh, people are losing the opportunity to, to be in the industry. Like we have jobs are disappearing. There's no use for, you know, the quick news hit or the news writers because it could be done very quickly with AI. Uh, but you lose, and what you lose when you have AI is you lose, I think the the ability to have like human judgment calls about how to frame news and what you know the the understanding of like what another human being is going to receive mm-hmm. from what you're writing, uh, and so that makes me yeah that makes me very very nervous and worried about yeah our collective colleagues whose jobs are suffering as a result. Yes, but we do write our scripts. <laughs> Can you we imagine our, our scripts. scripts in AI? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I just I don't think AI knows which moments in a Bachelor episode I want to dunk on yeah. the most. <laughs> no, you never know. Down the line, they might, but for now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until they've implanted a chip in my brain, brain yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> Uh, This dovetails nicely into our next question, which is, I'd love to hear about your behind-the-scenes process for putting together an episode. Ooh. Well, it's not too fancy, you know? How do we We, do it? (laughs) We have a schedule of events, especially when we're in a season of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, where we know what episodes we're covering. Um, We prep a doc, and we watch the episode we write notes. Uh, one of us usually does really detailed notes. One of us does more of the intro and all of our, um, you know, princess ratings or love to see it, hate to see it. We kind of, uh, chat it out, uh, before we 
start recording. And then we have our script to kind of guide us, but we, you know, we kind of wing it too. We, we want to throw in our opinions and, and all yeah, that. Yeah, it's very conversational. And the our script is there to keep us on track and allow us to, we're not very good at being succinct, yeah, but allow lose, us not to, lose to our place. Yeah. Yeah, to pace correctly, not to forget things. Um, and yeah, we sometimes we will flag things that we think could be bigger jumping off points for larger discussions. We'll flag things that we might want to clip if the particular show we're covering has the ability for us to clip some audio to put in after. Um, and yeah, all of that is is done before. And then there's the part of prep that's just like, booking guests and making schedules and all of the the logistical things that are required. Doing tech troubleshooting, frankly, <laughs> is a big part of our process yes. every week because... Remote recording. We, mm-hmm. Yeah, we all are remote. We're all in different places. You know, Lee and I are on the East Coast. Talon's on the West Coast. So we're, we're all sitting in different rooms with different acoustics and trying to make the best product that we can at the end. So it's a lot of just coordinating that stuff. Um, And then also I'd say just like kind of sitting with the material. Mm -hmm. And that's why when we can, we love to watch things more than once because I think we catch things. Yes. And of course we like chat each other while we're watching the episodes about moments that we loved or, Mm -hmm. you know, villains that are standing out in an episode. And that helps us frame, Mm -hmm. I think, and anticipate what's going to be a bigger conversation and what we might want to address. Because we're also, of course, guessing at what the larger conversation um, is going to end up being. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And then we have um, then we have the whole promotion process, which is another part of our work. And, you know, we recently brought on our great social media production assistant, Tatiana. And so she helps with that along with Talon and the Stitcher team. And yeah, that's how the sausage gets made. It takes a little village. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Uh, Next, we have, do you have any dream podcast guests? Of course we do. Um, I would love a personally, like a Kris Jenner to swing on by. Um, You know, an hour with Kris Jenner or more would be amazing. Or like a Jennifer Lawrence, Emma Stone tag team situation. Yeah, (laughs) noted, noted Bachelor fan. Mm -hmm. So J-Law. Hit us up. We're open. <laughs> and New York City also, gal, yeah. Swing on by. Exactly. I'll go into New York City to talk to J-Law, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Lee will be making the trip. I have really been in an Olivia Rodrigo mood recently mm. because I've been listening to Guts on repeat and then, so good. you know, re-listening to Taylor Swift and considering... A feud? Their relationship. <laughs> yeah, but like uh, all of these things. So I'm like... Bring on, I want Taylor Swift or Olivia Rodrigo. Absolutely. That would be both amazing. Of them on the pod to talk about friendship and fame and reality TV if they watch it. I don't know, but like well, we'd figure out something to talk to them mm-hmm. about. Um, my less pie in the sky dream podcast guest is Gabby Windy because I'm just such a I fan love of her. her. Would, would love to talk to her. I've been really loving all of the podcasts that she's been been doing since her appearance on The View. Um, so, Gabby, you know, one if you're day, listening, one day, Gabby, give us a call. She will make it. We will get her here. <laughs> one day. <laughs> 
Do you uh, do you have any tips for new podcasters? Oh gosh, I I think just just keep putting out episodes. Mm-hmm. Really, like it's a really the industry has changed so much since we started this podcast in 2015 uh, when it was here to make friends. And I think a lot of what we've done has just been like on instinct, total Wild West vibes, like not really following any specific playbook. Um, But I think just the same way that relationships, I think, are key in any industry, I think making friends with other podcasters, getting their advice, um, and and doing like cross promotion or like working on episodes together. I think that can be really fruitful. And then I guess the main tip that I would have is um, own your IP, own your intellectual property, because that is something that we did not at HuffPost. And, and that was very difficult. And I think it, it cost us a lot financially, frankly, over mm-hmm. the years to not um, have ownership over that. And now, now we do. And um super grateful to have that independence now and have a great partner in Stitcher rather than, you know, a corporation that says they own all your work, work even mm-hmm. if it's not theirs. It's, it's yours. basically exclusively based on your personalities. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember when you and Claire like launched Here to Make Friends and it was way ahead of like the podcast boom. You know, you guys had this idea. Um, and yeah, it was very disappointing, the, the fallout of that. But now seeing all the work you guys have put into Love to See It and making the changes that you needed to further it, you know, out of just Bachelor franchise coverage. I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you, Lee. <laughs> but yeah, don't be afraid to take risks. Don't be afraid to change things up. Yeah, um, and have my advice would be to have like a solid idea, you know, something that you know can grow, uh, an idea yeah. that's not just going to last a year or six months to a year, but something that you can really push further and get that devoted you know, fan base, because that's what you're after. But I do love podcasts. I think they're so... Me too. Great. They're so so fun. I listen to so many too. It's just, (laughs) you can listen anywhere, you know? Never enough. Never enough. I I listen to podcasts all day, every day, like while I'm cleaning, while I'm driving, while I'm on the subway, while I'm like, you know, doing other busy work. It's there's a podcast for everyone. Going to sleep. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Podcast for every moment. (laughs) Okay, final question in this section. How do you manage your work-life balance now that you work for yourselves? Tricky. That's a tricky question. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think the layoffs really just kind of pushed at least me to sort of sit back and think about what I want in life. I, yeah. I was also pregnant at the time of the layoffs with my second child. So I they knew- They had great timing. Yeah, great timing. I knew, and it was a pandemic, <laughs> I knew that it was going to be really tricky to, like, get a job, uh, let alone find a job. Uh, so I ended up kind of focusing on my kids for a little bit, and I'll never regret that time or the time I have now with my children. And, I, you know, I don't have a full-time journalism gig, but I work for 
myself and I make my own schedule and I get to write what I want to write and I get to be inspired by things I watch and see and, uh, you know, my own motherhood journey. And so it's different. I actually have more of a passion for writing because it's not like I have a quota or I have this many things I have to write. Um, but for me, it's really yeah. important to be a mom at this stage of my life. I My kids need me more than I you know, need a, a great glamorous job. I do miss my, my days in front of the camera and interviewing cool people. And, but the industry has changed so much. So even then it was like, we knew we had it good. We used to talk about how amazing, I know you remember we could like sit and get coffee upstairs and we'd talk about how great it was. Like we're so lucky to be doing what we're doing and have these opportunities so I feel like we kind of knew that it wasn't always going to last. <laughs> oh, yeah. We we knew. We really, really, really knew. Um, I, I'll, I'll also say that, like, in some ways, it's easier to manage my work-life balance now. In some ways, it's harder, of course, because there's things that don't stay in a contained period of time. Like, I can't always just put my work away. Although... Frankly, when I was covering the news, I also couldn't yeah. because they, I was working a lot of off work hours. Um, yeah, I don't think there was necessarily always the greatest work life balance when we were working in a newsroom. So I think it's always kind of trying to figure that out. But I will say, the, for me, the the way that I've managed to feel pretty good about this is that. I have ownership over my time now. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you feel this way, Lee, but like something I realized was just when you have, you know, you know, when we were working in an, in a newsroom, even during the pandemic, like we were sitting at our laptops all, all day, day, even if we weren't actively writing a story at that moment. Mm -hmm. And it was just a lot of performing the availability to do labor yeah. without actually doing the labor. And now if I have, you know, if we finish and then I have two hours, those are my two hours and I can go to a Pilates class or I can get lunch with a friend who also has a flexible schedule or I can run errands or I can do laundry and then I can go back to the work again. Yes. And but even like, like I'm not you know, spending those hours like waiting for someone to slack me. Exactly. Or you can like go to a doctor's appointment and not have guilt about leaving yes. for like an hour or actually sit and exactly. have lunch and not like uh, with your laptop next to you. Or, you know, what our coverage is television and film and music. And, you know, I always felt guilty on the job watching television and like listening to music. I should <gasps> never have felt job. guilty because our <laughs> job is that. So I'd end up watching things at night and then I'm like, all I'm doing is working. Like when is... So now it is, it's so different. And, you know, at nighttime, I work a lot because I have the kids and it's just more peaceful. It's quiet. I can't actually focus. Or during the day, it's kind of, it's hectic because you have a million things that you could be doing. And of course, work is wonderful. <laughs> I miss the steady, you know, the steady paycheck. You know, every few weeks, I never know. I what did I do care. this week at the healthcare? Yeah. And we have another question about this. So we'll get into more about our thoughts on HuffPost life a little later. But I think on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to get into all of your many Bachelor franchise questions. Can you keep up? I like love it. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes there will be something that is just like nagging at me, bothering me about something in my life, and I just swirl it around and around and around in my head and don't quite know how to address it. And something that can really help me sort that through and like take action is therapy. I completely agree. I've been really stressed lately because I've just been getting sick over and over again. And before I know it, I'm feeling a lot of emotions and I don't even connect where they're coming from with the actual origin. We all carry around these stressors, right? And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a great safe space to get things off of your chest and figure out how to actually work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash love to see it today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash love to see it. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while or even not that long knows that we love article. I mean, honestly, I'm looking around my home right now. Coffee tables from article. That lovely chair out on my deck. Article. Our big console. Article. I'm My bed frame. Article. This is an article household. It is. And it's, I mean, it was an inspiration to me. We finally got our first article piece of furniture recently, our new couch. And my husband and I are both constantly just like, how did we live before this couch? This is such an improvement over what we had before. It's so comfortable. It just seems to get more comfortable every day. I mean, it's the couch you dream of. And the reason that we have both been able to find ideal furniture on Article is because Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online-only model, they have some really delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. And their team of designers are all about finding that perfect balance between style, quality, and price because we all want the best of all of those three things united in one piece of furniture, right? Plus, they're dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and, you know, looks good doing it. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash LTSI and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash LTSI for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for 3 weeks and it was 
so helpful, just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we are back. We are going to focus now on the Bachelor franchise because that's our bread and butter. (laughs) And, And we got a lot of great creative questions. I love it. I love it. First question, what change in format do you wish the Bachelor franchise would implement? I, I think I've said this before. I love yours, yeah. I, I want to see them, when they get down to the top four, give the lead like a day or two to just online stalk the shit <laughs> out of their top four, look through all their social media, all of their past tweets, like just go deep. Like, how is this person presenting themselves to the world? It is so important because I feel like it's gotten better the last like year maybe, but there were a few seasons where a lot of the social media activity of these finalists were bad, real bad. And a lot of the leads who chose them didn't realize what they believed, what they uh, were putting out there. Uh, who they were hanging out with, what kind of lifestyle they had, their religious beliefs, their political beliefs, all that. The lead doesn't really, unless they ask, which I feel like now they are trying more to get into those deep questions. It's also that like are, people can lie. Yeah. People can downplay to like make someone like you. Exactly. But then you go and you see like they're posting creepy memes and you're like this yeah. is done wouldn't you love just an episode <laughs> just scrolling through yeah taking no, notes do it on there. they do it on fboy island yeah they do you're so right and it's so good because you realize so like good. who these people are and they're just like oh that guy oh i thought he was no fboy definitely fboy <laughs> <laughs> look at that instagram look at those like gym modeling shots yeah. like that we see what you're doing i love this idea Speaking of like top four, I think there should be like more than two people in the in the final. I think that the more people there, the better. It's better for drama. But also we've seen the leads kind of fall for more than two people. And I'm always curious, like, oh, if he was able to stay to the end, what would have happened? Like if this third finalist was able to get another date or, you know, I always wonder. Oh, okay. So like give them the maximum emotional turmoil right up until yeah. the last day. Also just like <laughs> for uh, like sometimes they send them home and I'm like did he or she want to send that person home? I wish there right, were like, rules that were like time. just let them stick around if they feel like it. Like if they want to keep I more like people, they're they should be allowed to. It's not like you're going to lose the drama. <laughs> so true. Okay, I like this. Another fun question that I'm like we made our selections and then I look at Lee's and I'm like, wait, I'm doubting my choices is what are your top five seasons of bachelor and bachelorette for each of you? And why? Oh, man, I've, it's hard. It's so hard because I looked at yours and then I, yeah, I second guess mine. I was like, wait, she's right. 
Yeah, no, some of them I was like, oh, that was a great season. Okay, so for me, for Bachelor, I didn't put these in like a particular order. I didn't rank them like this is my number one. Yeah, I sort of did, but... I could kind of try. I, I go back and forth. But they flip-flop too. Like some, yeah. They flip-flop. Yeah, like so I have three that are kind of like my clear top three, which w- which are Sean Lowe's season, season 17, Jason Mesnick's season, season 13, and Juan Pablo Galavis' season, season 18. Those are my top three. And then the, the other two kind of sometimes swap in and out. So Sean's is just, you know him picking Catherine, like watching that season live, knowing the way that this show usually went, I think a lot of people assumed that he was going to end up with the woman that felt more stereotypically like the kind of person that would win a show like The Bachelor. Mm -hmm. White, very Christian from, you know, the South. And instead he picked Catherine Giudici who's biracial, who was from Seattle, who was a vegan at the time. Like so fun and quirky. Like so she was yeah. funny and just like had a delight about her that like you just didn't see that much. And like those small differences as viewers, I think can make a huge can make a huge impression on you. And so the the thrill of seeing her picked was just like awesome. And they're still together. It just Incredible season. Mesnick season has to be up there because of the drama of him. He was the first one to flip-flop. He was. It, that season is amazing. I mean, I agree it's with amazing. both Sean Lowe just, and Jason. Those were all yeah, mine. You yeah, have, you have both of those in your top also. You also have Juan Pablo's in, of course. in your top five. So our, we're, we're really aligned yeah. in a lot of ways because Juan Pablo's is great. Well, yeah, Mesnick first flip flop. Also, just love Mesnick, token Jewish bachelor, mm-hmm. um, single dad. He charming and yeah, incredible twist at the end. Juan Pablo's season was so great because like half of the women just hated him, <laughs> they just and I enjoyed. It was so chaotic. That it was it. like my misandrist <laughs> side. Like it was really cathartic to watch. Um, it also brought up a lot of really interesting conversations about the way the show treats sex and mm-hmm. um and also we got like we got Charlene from that season we got Andy Dorfman's incredible like do you even know what religion I am and he like <laughs> didn't like after the fan my fantasy suite turned into a nightmare I mean just classic moments amazing women on his season uh, incredible women on his season so those are definitely solidly my top three and then as the other two, I put Colton Underwood season, which might be controversial, but I think I had very low expectations for that season going in, and it ended up being a really interesting one. We got that fence jump moment, mm-hmm. which was so real, like it was a completely organic, dramatic thing. I think looking back, obviously, there's some like dark undertones to yeah, the behavior happening? that was displayed on that season. And this is not me um, co-signing that behavior. But I think as like a season of TV, it was incredibly gripping mm-hmm. to watch in a way that I think a lot of us did not expect it to be. Because I don't think we expected him to be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then my final pick is season one, Alex <laughs> Michelle's season, because he's 
so he's such a goober. Yeah. He's like so dweeby and he's wearing these like giant suits that are so large because that was the look. Oh my gosh, when you and Claire recapped those first few episodes of The Bachelor, it's amazing. I remember watching Alex Michelle's season with my mom when I was a teen. I love that. It's just like the birth of all the tropes also. Like you get the first Bachelor, I'm not here to make friends. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, you can't, like that is just really cool. You get seeds of drama that you can see that they picked on those threads and like ran with them in seasons after. And so watching the way that the show was framed at the beginning, you know, seeing Chris Harrison trying to explain the premise, they do this whole like how we picked Alex special and how we picked the women. And so I am personally just fascinated by the way that they were trying to sell the country on this show and how they were trying to say, this is a different kind of dating show than what you've seen before. So for that reason, um, it's the OG. Uh, Speaking of here to make friends, that's why I threw Ben Flanick on mine because I, how can you not love Courtney Robertson's evil villain? S of that season season. I ever watched. I mean, skinny dipping. She was just like, she was such great television that she ended up winning. Um, and Ben just like had this like he he was like a wine owner like he just I don't he had a vibe about him it was like Tuscany or something <laughs> loved that season also loved Ari's season because of the chaotic ending uh, with Becca and Lauren and how he ended up with Lauren they're married now they have three kids kind of like what happened with Jason it was like a Jason repeat um, and who else oh Ben Higgins. Yeah, you put you put six, but I'll let it slide. I know. I had I had to throw <laughs> Ben on there. I couldn't leave Ben off. <laughs> no, you're actually right. Like I, if I could do six, I would also put Ben Higgins. He Ben Higgins is an incredible bachelor. I this isn't necessarily my like favorite leads. Yes. Right. right? It's We're just talking the about overall seasons. season. And overall he was the season. first one to say, I love you to two women. It was Joe that was breaking. Um, that was actually, that was a great season. Yeah, that him was, and Lauren got like a little reality yeah. show after. It was terrible. Yeah, now she's <laughs> married to a country, right? Chris Lane. Was it? Yeah. Things have changed, but he's okay. happily married too. So there you go. But yeah, Ben Higgins, just an all around nice guy. Good he bachelor. Was, he was a great bachelor. I don't know that that season makes my top five, but yeah, top six, I would, I would give it. Should we move on to our favorite Bachelorette seasons, yes. which in a way was harder? It was. Because I love all of the I had a tie. I so did. much. <laughs> you, you did. You put in a tie. Oh, well, Charity, Charity's number one. I really enjoyed the season. I, I agree. It, it was real authentic love. And that's what I'm about when I watch the show. I just want to see people fall in love and it be real. So, and she just Charity carried season. herself with poise. She was confident. She spoke her mind. She's, I don't know. I love her. Me too. We both had that as our number one incredible season. Yeah. Then I had Trista, the OG. Trista Sutter and Ryan's love story. If you guys have not it's watched good. that. It's really good. Oh my gosh. It's like pure. Uh, and she's she started it off. She's still Mama Bachelorette. She shows up to all these <laughs> reunions and events. But their love story, I remember watching it. Um, again, with my mom. My mom's the one who introduced me to this franchise. So, uh, but back, I just have fond memories of watching it and of them falling in love. And 
after her, like, getting heartbroken by Alex. <laughs> it was nice to see. Uh, who else did I have? Oh, Hannah Brown, of course. Oh, I, also, I also have Hannah Brown on my top five. I mean, Mike, like, I fucked in a windmill. <laughs> Yes, I had sex and Jesus still loves me. Like yes. these are these are quotable moments. The outfits too. Like I remember her comically fashion. evil. Yeah, Lupe. Oh, Tyler. She had Tyler. Um she had some like interesting guys on her season, but she's just kick-ass. I love Hannah Brown. She's great. She's delightful. And she also was super chaotic as the lead in a way that was really fun mm-hmm. to watch. She was very much figuring it out in real time. Um, and sort of, you could see her, or at least from an audience perspective, it felt like she was coming into her voice as we were watching. And that was emotionally very satisfying. Yes. And then I have Tasha Adams because I loved her and Zach's love story. Me too. Uh, that's really why I loved the season. And I loved, it was like during the pandemic. So they were like all living together at a resort. Yeah, I think the Klaisha season would be yeah. a runner up for me because we did get great moments like... Yosef yep. and his daughter. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, yes, as you said, Tasha and Zach. Oh, still sad they didn't work Me out. Me too. I loved <laughs> them so much. Um, she had good guys too. She did. Uh, and then I have a tie <laughs> with Jillian Harris and Desiree Hartsock because the, the like the chaos of Jillian had Ed, uh, her final guy, and there was so much chaos surrounding them the whole season. Like, he was obviously her number one pick. And the same thing with Desiree and Brooks. Oh, that uh, was a crazy When moment. he leaves, I have never seen such great... I, like, everyone fell in love with him, and then he, we kind of knew he was going to leave. But her her heartbreak in that moment, oh. That was one of the first, like real breakups mm-hmm. I feel like I've watched on TV. I remember it, it and I haven't like watched they, it in forever. Like, they're on a dock. Like, they're both sweating. <laughs> My gosh. Great TV. Yeah, wow. Thank you for reminding me of that. Mm. My The rest of my list, I put Caitlin Bristow oh, on oh, there. Of course, yeah. I mean, great. her season, just incredible. She has so much presence. She was properly chaotic we were in ireland for like what felt like 10 months (laughs) um and she had another one like sean was kind of like her guy the whole season too and that was an interesting storyline like seeing him talk to producers like i mean i I hated sean booth but the season was really good and we got (laughs) we got ben higgins we got jared haben Mm -hmm. you know we got some like really key bachelor Bachelor Nation men from that season. Rachel Lindsay season, another oh, one of great my season. faves. I mean, she See, this was is just why you obviously can't pick. this is why you can't know. Bachelorettes mm-hmm. are impossible to pick. She was obviously so groundbreaking in so many ways. And there are ways in which I watch that season and I'm like, this is indicative of the way that this franchise historically um is racist mm-hmm. <laughs> and has not known how to how to deal with love stories um, about people of color. And I think that her season exposed a lot of that. But also she was just so fun to watch. She and Brian, I don't think we saw enough of their love story, but the love triangle between her and Brian and Peter Krause was 
riveting oh television. my gosh of course peter, peter see Trust, now i want to yeah. change my list yeah no well that's the thing <laughs> no you can't five bachelorettes her, only her five, final few episodes were so good i love so rachel too good and i just love her she's she's totally brilliant and yeah i just have only the best feelings about her like she's too good for this franchise she's yeah, way but too she good got her husband franchise. she has her but husband yeah she did find it, her yeah. husband and then she got to leave uh bachelor world and i'm so glad for her that yes. she did and then my final pick is emily maynard's season a great season too i oh. love this season we recently during our live shows recapped an episode from this season she's just I mean, she was like America's sweetheart vibes, but with some edge. Yes. She was, she has, she just has like it. She has that star quality. I had a huge crush on Jeff with one F like her yes, whole season. So many of us who, did when it was, Who yeah. she ended up with. Uh, and then we got, we got Sean and Ari from that yeah, season. Because Ari was runner up, right? Yeah. And Sean yeah. was number three. Oh, right. They have like the wall was, kiss. Yeah. So that's pretty... It's a good season. Emily Maynard, too. Her hair always looks so stunning. She had the most beautiful blowouts every episode. I do remember that. (laughs) I feel like that was also during, like, the peak of dry bar coolness. Yes. So, like, the blowouts, yeah. And single mom, like, you know, she had a tragic backstory. The only only single mom that we've ever had. Now she has, I think, four more kids. She got married. Yeah. She has six kids total now. Yeah. I love to see the joy. That's a lot of kids, but I love it. (sighs) Another question we got. If you could be cast on any (laughs) past or future Bachelor season, which would you choose and why? This is um, very difficult for me because I find basically all Bachelors to just inevitably they're going to disappoint me in some capacity. Yeah. Um, They sour over time, which is why I had to pick Joey. (laughs) Because he's really cute, and we don't he hasn't yet had know. time to disappoint yeah. me yet. <laughs> I said the same. I also am like super into Matt James. I don't think his season was good at all, and of course, it was yeah, a lot very yeah. problematic. But getting to know him after the show, like on Instagram and on Dancing with the Stars, he would be he's fun just to hang goofy out with. and fun, and loves food, and he's tall. I'm tall. I like Matt James. Didn't like his season, really but like him. Yeah, yeah. I like Matt James also, and also was traumatized by his season. So, yes, you know. I love. He's he is very handsome, very handsome. If you could have any memento from any Bachelor season, what would it be? <laughs> I said I would. I want Jason Mesnick's tears, like in a jar that he cries off that. the balcony. <laughs> I wanted to steal that. That's the best answer. Um, I went more practical. I'm like one of b- before they had their long running relationship with Neil Lane. I want one of like the early. Harry Winston engagement rings. Mm-hmm. And then I can keep it or turn it into a necklace or like, you know, sell it. Like that it was just like a win-win. It's yeah, that's an all It's not a sentimental pick. memento. It's like, give me the diamond. Yeah. Also, how would I jar those tears? A producer would have had to be down there just catching them. But I in my what? dreams. He might offer you iconic. some now, like a second, you know, iconic <laughs> delayed tears. Or maybe like the jacket he was wearing or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, oh, next we have plan your most chaotic bachelor group date and a celebrity co-host uh, to host it. 
Uh, let's see. I, I This is where I'm, I, I'm like, oh, I feel like they've already done a lot of chaotic group dates. I'm like, this is why I'm not a reality TV producer because I'd be I was like, bad at this. Yeah, I couldn't think of any idea. I loved the Barbie date this season. But Me it wasn't too. really chaotic. It, it wasn't was just cha- fun. It wasn't very chaotic. It was just like actually fun. I'm like, but the I feel most like all chaotic. these flag football things, like that's nuts to that's me. Chaotic. Yeah. I think the the chaotic one I would plan it would be like, like um, like an icebreaker like team workshop, but with like political and social statements, and they have to <laughs> arrange themselves from like agree to disagree, and then the lead can just like eliminate. The people if they don't answer it. the way they want them to. <laughs> that would surely be chaotic. <laughs> or or bring um Nikki Glazer in from F Boy Island to run some of her Limbro therapy sessions. Yeah, like have an F Boy Island crossover. Yeah. I would enjoy them, that. Make them name like five women comedians. Mm-hmm. And they probably and, like define consent. <laughs> yeah. I want- <laughs> Uh, any of the two, like, um, too hot to handle dates. Those would be fun oh, on The Bachelor. Yes. Yes. Just make them do. Like standard or buckets of water, like Survivor style. We'll get to plenty of Survivor. <gasps> oh, my God. You know. <laughs> Just make them do the too hot to handle dates. That's hilarious. They have to, like, think about their yonis and, yeah. like, make a painting or something. <laughs> so good. Uh, celebrity co-host, though, for The Bachelor. I don't know. They've had... Pretty good. Nikki Glazer. Nikki Glazer. She would be great. Or Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. She needs to be on there. Or a Kardashian. Let's see. Yeah, what, I'm surprised what, it hasn't happened yet. I know. Well, they she did you watch that who did that Hulu little promo. show? Yeah. Yeah. They clearly did some some nice crossover. Yeah. Work so there. who knows? I mean, both, maybe look, in both the future. Under the Disney ABC Hulu banner, it's all the same. Ooh, maybe we can get like Coco or Serena to come on for Joey season <gasps> for like a little tennis. Oh, that's an amazing idea. Would love it. Yes. And then like, oh, yes. I want (laughs) to watch Coco just like dominate. Or Serena. That's that's an incredible idea. Yes. Tennis date for sure. Okay. Uh, If you could host a dinner with three Bachelor Universe couples, who would you invite? Now, I know you're a little like, do they both have to be from the franchise? I did two lists. Yeah. So you go first. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did a list of three couples I would choose if both people in the couple have to be from Bachelor Nation. And then if only one has to be from Bachelor Nation. It's very different answers. If they both have to be from Bachelor Nation, I would have dinner with Becca and Thomas, mm-hmm. Charity and Dotton, and Rachel and Brian. Those are great. I feel ones. like this would be an incredible in- dinner. I really like would be really excited about it. I feel like it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just waiting for my invitation. Um, <laughs> and if only one has to be from Bachelor Nation, obviously Gabby Winty and Robbie Hoffman. Yes, that would be an amazing I'm obsessed with date them. night. Yep. Um, and then I'd want to add Becca Tilly and Haley Kyoko, and I want to mm-hmm. ask Gabby and Becca a lot of questions about like going on a really heteronormative dating show, and then you know, real, having realizations about your sexuality because I'm just mm-hmm. fascinated by that. And then I would add 
um, Charlene Joint and Andy Levine because they're just like my actual friends. Yeah, so. I was going to say. And Charlene's <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> yeah. She yeah. should be at every like, dinner they're, party they're always. They're really fun. And Charlene would ask great questions. And mm-hmm. she's just wonderful to talk to in general. And I love her husband, Andy. So I'd be like my actual friends and then these two couples that I want to befriend slash interview. Yeah, I love it. I loved your list. I would have Charity and Dotton too. I mean, I think I want to have Dean and Kaylin because I just want to like hear about what they're up to. Uh, They also like travel the world and like live out of an RV. So um, that's cool. And Matt James and Rachel, I just want to like get to know them more. And they know all the food spots like everywhere. So (laughs) I feel like they could pick where we should eat. (laughs) <laughs> they could probably get you like a private room at a great restaurant that you've like never heard of and they know exactly what to order. Yeah. It's, it's a good call. Which Bachelor Nation couple has had the best proposal? And I love this because we picked the same one. Zach and Tasha. I mean, Zach Charity and, and Dotton are Tasha. like runners up. Run- runner ups. I was like Charity and Dotton, Sean and Catherine. Yes. Zach and Tasha did, was this proposal long lasting? No. But was it the best? Yes. yes. It was highly specific. It felt, it didn't feel like a bachelor proposal. No, it felt like a uh, real life couple's proposal. Like declaration. I think to it's each because other. Zach, too, is like such an honest man. Like he, I don't. I, I just felt the love. I felt the love in that proposal for sure. And, and he was they definitely had, like, a different vibe than most men yes. who are on the cast on this show. Absolutely, and you could see it in like something like their whole season. Uh, he was a standout. That's why I love their season so much. Again, they're not together anymore, but I know that they were definitely in love. <laughs> um, well, it doesn't matter. We're we're being asked about proposals. That's okay? true. We loved it. We love that proposal. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to get into questions about reality TV in general and also ourselves. Can you keep up? I like love it. Okay, so you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. <laughs> so important. I also just know myself. I I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party, can get very stressful. And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender. I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift. Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. I am so glad that it's finally warming up. And it also means that I just want to have fun this summer and I don't want to be worrying about meal prep. And luckily... I can do something about that with 
factor, especially because they have so many meal options like Protein Plus, Keto, Vegetarian, something for every diet. Their fresh, never frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Make your whole day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. I love having a few factor meals just sitting in my fridge, especially because I work from home. It's so nice to finish up a taping and not have to figure out what to cook myself. Just look in my fridge and be like, oh, in two minutes, I can be eating mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice or tomato basil chicken risotto or Santa Fe style green chili beef skillet. And they always have a nice like vegetable side. It feels well-balanced. I feel full after, and it's not a headache at all. Head to factormeals.com slash LTSI50 and use code LTSI50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code LTSI50 at factormeals.com slash LTSI50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And we are back. We're going to dive right into reality TV, which is, you know, what I watch every day, all day. (laughs) Although, you know, it has slowed down a little. I mean, when I go at night to like look for some shows, I'm finding it a little difficult to find things to watch. Um, And soon enough with the strike, I mean, people get ready because there's not going to be any drama series to watch. And there might be reality TV uh, but it might be a little bit of an overload. So well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. <sighs> God, yeah. But who is your biggest reality personality crush? I have to say, from a young age, I have watched Top Chef. There is a chef on that show. Sam Talbot had the biggest crush on him when I was a young girl. Uh, or Padma on Top Chef. Because Padma is just, like to me, the hottest woman of all time. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Padma's a really... Padma's a really good one. I was having a really hard time thinking of this because I was like, I I don't really have a crush on many people. Like I have a friendship crush on everyone in Queer Eye. Mm-hmm. Oh, Antony yes. is also just absurdly hot. Yes. So maybe it's Antony Porowski. Um, and you just want to hang out with them. Like, Yeah, definitely want to hang out with them. Yeah, I guess that's the closest to a reality crush I have. Again, so many people from these shows, just by the time I've covered them. You're like, oh, the crush is gone. Oh, the crush is so gone. Like, I, yeah, like I'll have a crush. Like Tyler Cameron, for example. I know. We all had a crush on Tyler. Uh, But it's no no longer. Currently, no, I don't. Peter Krause, maybe, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Still have a crush on him, but it's fleeting for me in Bachelor Nation. Yeah, because then you like get to know them afterwards, and you're like, oh. you're like, you're a person. Yeah, you're no longer this fun crush on my TV. Yeah, uh, what reality show do you think you could actually do well on? This is ho- oh, Lee. I knew what your answer was going to be, <laughs> and I was really excited <laughs> to discuss this. <laughs> oh my god, I am the biggest Survivor fan, and this is like before everyone started watching Survivor. During the pandemic, I feel like so many people discovered it and then they're like, I love Survivor. No, I have been watching Survivor since season one and I have watched it live like 
for how many years it's been on. I think we're on season 45 or something. I have auditioned for the show twice. And funny story, uh, Sundance 2020, right before COVID hit, I met Jeff Probst at a, like an after party it's for a, a movie. Huge moment for Lee. So huge. big. And I went up to him and I told him, like, I've auditioned for the show. I really want to, you know, I feel like I would do well on it. And he was like, cool, cool, cool. He walked away. And then he came back. He found me. And he was like, I'm going to give you this piece of paper. It has contact information on it. Send your reel to this person uh, and it will be seen. And I freaked out. And then I started panicking. Like, should I do this? Like, should I? Can I actually go on an island? Like, I hate bugs. I'm a very fair person. Like, I would need all the sunscreen. I'm also like, I would need a razor or like wax kit because I would be so paranoid about my body hair. Um, And then Will was like, I thought this was like your dream. Like, you have to do it. And then COVID hit. And I was like, oops, can't do it. Like, not do it. (laughs) Then I got pregnant again. But now I feel like I'm, you know, maybe I could do it. I should do it. I, it's my dream to watch you on Survivor. Would you cover me? I'd love to see it. (laughs) Yeah. If you're on Survivor, I'll watch Survivor. I'm not a Survivor (laughs) person, but I, like, for you, yeah, absolutely. Yes, there's my spiel. There's my spiel about Survivor. 100%. (laughs) I had a hard time with this because my first instinct, like, in the shows that we cover, I'm like, I would be horrible on all of these shows. And I have no, like, athletic skills or really, like, mental fortitude. So I think, um, you know, any of the, like, survival shows would be really bad for me, too. And then I was like, wait, I know what I would pick. An HGTV, like, redecorating Yes, you would be so good at that. I love home decor. I love DIY projects. I love watching HGTV. I'm like, this is... Yes, I think That's I could where you thrive. Could mm-hmm. I could th- thrive in that space. You could like have a Brooklyn show where you just flip people's apartments, uh, like small space, yeah, decorating or, or something. their home or like rent or something, yeah, or like rental rental friendly. I mean, even looking at something. your gorgeous bedroom now, while I'm in like my my dark playroom <laughs> in my house. Yeah, you want to come and like DIY my house for me? Yeah, I do. I honestly would. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> So great. You'll go on Survivor. I'll redecorate your house. While I'm gone. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite reality show not in the Bachelor universe? And I differentiated, I'm like, between watching and covering. Mm -hmm. Because I think that they can be different things. For me, my favorite reality shows to watch include Love is Blind, the new Real Housewives of New York, Queer Eye, um, as I mentioned, home reno shows like Fixer Upper, Netflix's Instant Dream Home. Mm-hmm. And then to cover, I honestly love covering the really random reality shows that we do like our kind of channel surfing episodes on, kind of dipping in and out like Farmer Wants a Wife or we did a rich text on Milf Manor. It just shows that our... <laughs> bad in really interesting ways Ways. that's fun to cover i'm sure i haven't i haven't covered like a random yeah i know because you reality show bachelor content yeah you've been here but love is blind is one of my favorites to watch and to cover i just love that show is one of those shows that like you get addicted to like you cannot stop watching and when there's not a new episode i get upset 
that show for sure, like, sucks me in. Uh, I also, of course, love Survivor. I'm a big foodie, so I love Top Chef. I love The Lost Kitchen on Magnolia Network. I love all Magnolia Network shows. Uh, Fixer Up or Chip and Joe are my like buddies, so I I, I think watch you were you content. maybe were the one that re- first introduced me to Fixer Up. Oh, loved them. I love them still. Uh, Drag Race, love RuPaul's Drag Race. I and I also like Dancing with the Stars of late. Like it's gotten really a lot better. Um, and I'm excited to find out who the cast is because I love to follow all the Dancing with the Stars people on Instagram. I I love that. <laughs> Uh, I'm a mom, a big, you know. I'm a mom. No, that's you. That, before you, that was that's not specific to <laughs> your children. I'm just gonna blame them. I never watched I like, Dancing they, with the Stars. <laughs> no, just, I always watch. Yeah, you always watch Dancing with the Stars. I've known you long enough to know that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> what changes would you like to see being made in reality TV overall? Big question. I think the biggest thing that both of us maybe thought of was unionization and like regulation Mm -hmm. in the industry in a real way. I think this is something that a lot of people in the industry have been talking about for a long time. And obviously, I think has been thrown into even more stark relief as we're seeing the negotiations around the the Writers Guild and, and SAG strikes. And it's insane that there are not those collective protections for Mm -hmm. people who work in reality. I mean, obviously, some of the crews and some of the hosts are covered under certain unions, but um, it really feels like reality TV as a whole needs their own union or needs SAG to really expand and take that on because this is a massive industry. There are huge numbers of people who are getting paid next to nothing or literally nothing. And people are making a lot of money off of their backs. And whether or not we think that, you know, some people I think are like, well, that doesn't require skill or, oh, you get paid in exposure. But like that, I I don't think we would find it quite so acceptable to say that to other creatives. Like the idea that like, oh, you shouldn't accept, you don't need to be paid for your art because all reposted on my Instagram. Like, no. Yeah. We understand, like, artists deserve to be paid for their work. Um, Writers deserve to be paid for their work. Actors. And I think you're putting yourself in a pretty precarious position going on a reality TV show. Yes. It can have unintended consequences, and that is labor, and that should be compensated, and you should be protected. Yeah. Well, that leads to my point, too, which was, you know, guaranteed therapy, and support available to all contestants on on these shows. Um, we put like we put them through the ringer. I mean, everyone's guilty in reality TV, whether we're reacting to contestants, mm-hmm. the social media hate, uh, the way producers string their stories out. I, like it's it's just kind of a mess. And I have appreciated seeing a little bit of the therapy, you know, enacted behind the scenes. But I think that should just be like guaranteed on every reality TV set um, is just support because even after the show comes out, like there should be ways that these producers are checking in on the people who are starring on the shows that are getting them all these views. I absolutely agree with everything that you just said. (sighs) 
And I think that brings us to the end of our reality TV section. On to the personal questions. <laughs> what were your honest first impressions of each other? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I feel like I always really liked you and knew you to be like a very skilled journalist and really kind and really warm. And I, I don't even remember exactly when we became friends because it feels like we just became friendly for a long time yeah. and then we're friends. I, I Because we I feel like we were already friends before we worked on the same team. But then we got closer, obviously, we were. when we were put on the same team. Yeah, I remember because Emma ran the women's section and I was in the entertainment section. And I remember your desk was like at the corner of yes. the newsroom uh, by like the bathroom. <laughs> so everyone passed you and you were like always a force to be reckoned with. I remember being nice. like intimidated because you're, you were like my age and you were, I feel like you had like, I don't know, the best editing skills. Your section was like flourishing and doing so well. And here we are in the entertainment section. We're like, how do we get clicks? How do we get more views? And oh you just have God. a great aura as everyone that's who knows nice. and loves you knows about you. Oh, that's very, very Great sweet. fashion too. I think Claire and I uh, were always both intimidated by Claire and her. <laughs> brilliant writing <laughs> yeah I I wrote down that she floored me like I think she's truly one of the most gifted writers out there I agree she is so kind I... and but yet relatable and never makes you feel beneath her ever she doesn't even know how good she is and that's what makes her even more excellent in my opinion I agree and I think like we all are very lucky in that like when we all worked together like it's just like a lot of nice people like I feel like we all supported each other's work. We were all happy to collaborate. I don't think any of us had like a big ego. And so I I feel like working with Yuli was always just really easy. Like it was it was never difficult because you're such a generous person with your skills and you're very empathetic and you're really really sharp and good at what you do and so it was always just like fun to get that's to That's so sweet. I'm going to get like collaborate. weepy over here. <laughs> it's the same thing. Uh -huh. I I used to be like so intimidated by a lot of people at HuffPost, but then I started to sit back and be like this is what I bring to the table and when you focus more on like your own skill set and uh just learning and growing from other people, I feel like that's how you flourish. Like yeah. Once I accepted and, that and I was like, you know, I'm goofy. I like reality TV. I love celebrity culture. I know everything about Angelina and Brad. <laughs> and like, that was my bread and butter. And you're so like, when that's I okay. Leave, that's, and Game that of Thrones. Value. Yeah, like, I'm a fantasy girl. I loved, oh yeah, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. Like I'm a, a little dork that way. But I was like, there are other people out there like me. So just lean into it. <laughs> yeah, and I think we ultimately got to work under a culture section that was really like had a wide breadth and that was really cool it was so cool because everyone had their so beat and we really had a well-rounded team that we, we like and bounce ideas off each other but we were all so different and we all had different things to offer that there was never like an argument we always knew who would get what story who would take on what project it wasn't competitive no either, which is awesome those and were we the good times really really cool big packages like our rom-com week package which mm -hmm. was really really fun we got to spend a lot of time like 
yeah, just thinking about things. We had great editors, Catherine Brooks, Tommy Craggs, Aaron Evans, like really just good people who supported us. Yeah, we were very lucky. And we had each other. And we had each other. Um, Someone else asked, which is related to this, when did Claire and Emma first meet? And we first met at HuffPost in 2011. I think Claire was there as an intern a few a few months before I started. Um, and then, yeah, I started in, I think it was m- the beginning of May, 2011. And then when, when did you start? I joined in? September, 2012. Yeah. So yeah, in the same era, yeah. we're all very, all in our early twenties. <laughs> yeah. Babies. And you were, you were always, whim- you were always on the women's team. I started on actually healthy living and then mm-hmm. moved to parents and women's and then just women's and then culture. I was all over the place. I know. Yeah. Claire was yeah. books. Like she well, was Claire was blog. Blog. Right. Books. She was blog. Yeah. First. You know, we all just kind of yeah. moved around. Yeah. I was celebrity. <laughs> I started off as a celebrity editor and then I moved to television and then I moved to the culture team, and but still to tell it was crazy. That's digital media for you. You just kind of get like shifted around yeah. for for years, and we were, as we said, very lucky to have stable jobs for almost a decade. Very. Um, another another question. Curious how you navigate planning parental leave as small business owners. It's a really interesting question. I think it's um, definitely was it a challenge and something that we knew was important to us. Like it was something that Claire and I, you know, we have a partnership contract separate from everything else, just between the two of us. It was one of the first things we were advised to do when we decided to kind of like go into, go into business together when we all got laid off. Um, and a guarantee of, of some paid leave was in there. Cause it was something that we both decided was like a really important value. Um, and, I think the biggest thing is that we're just like really lucky that we work really well together, that we have Stitcher to support us and that we had, um, that we are able, that we have enough supporters and we are making enough money to be able to at least have a partially fully like funded uh, maternity and parental parental and family leave policy at our company of two. It's so <laughs> um, amazing. Yeah. So that, I, I just feel really, really grateful to everyone who has supported us because like that is a lot, truly that direct support is what has allowed Claire to be on a paid parental leave for, for four months um, and has, you know, allowed us to bring Leon to offer her great skill set and bring in um, our our social media production assistant, Tatiana, to offer that support. And so, like, we've been able to kind of expand the team in these ways that has, yeah, has made that possible. And that is, like, truly thanks to the fact that people are really, really generous and subscribe and support and listen, listen. To, to our podcasts. Yeah. And it's so important, you know, to have those months at home with your baby and not have this like weight over you financially and just enjoy that time. And I know you yeah. guys were so on top of it when you reached out to me like months and months and months ago. Um, and we figured it out and I'm so excited to be here. I always say it would be great to, it's always fun when the three of us are together. 
Uh, but Emma, if you ever decide to have a child, <laughs> yeah, you'll feel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> TBD, TBD. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, you'll you'll be the first. You'll be the first <laughs> call if I ever need you to to fill in. Um, and yeah, I think it was important to us to also like leave it open for like other kinds of leave as well. If someone needs to go on leave to work on a different project or to take care of you know a family member mm-hmm. or any of that, it was important for us to have that um, built into our vision of this baby company of ours. And (sighs) this next question is for you, Emma. Are you and your partner, Adam, interested in marriage or opposed for some reason? That second part made me laugh. It was like, I hate marriage. Are you opposed to marriage for some reason? Um, But you just like love to watch people get engaged on reality TV, but you hate marriage. I don't hate marriage. Um, I also don't think I'm like overly invested in it happening in a specific time period. Um, I I don't think we're like opposed. We're not opposed to marriage. we're also not married, you know, so, yeah. but we're very happy with our life. We're very committed to each other. We're domestic partners and, um, yeah, we take our, each other into consideration, I think in the same way that, that we would if we were married and yeah, maybe that will happen at some point, but that's, we're kind of still figuring out what, what we want our lives to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but it's it's not really a comment on not really a larger comment at all on how I feel about marriage, I guess, other than the fact that that clearly wasn't my like number one priority or else maybe I would have made different decisions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, but marriage, is, you know, it's not for the week. I'm about to be married for eight years. Next week is my anniversary. It's, it's that isn't a, you know what? I don't think it's an accomplishment to get married, but I do think it's an accomplishment to sustain a long, yes, long committed relationship. And um, I think you realize so. that too. You know, when we decide to get married, we're in our 20s. Having a wedding is really exciting. Um, and then as you grow your family and you grow together, you start realizing like none of that mattered. Like, the stuff that matters is us, our connection, the way we treat each other, the way we parent together. Um, our, our shared values. Yes. Um, but it is beautiful being in a marriage or a partnership in general where you grow together and learn from each yeah. other. And, and I think you're that's committed just lucky. to each other. Yeah. It's lucky if you if you um, are in a partnership where you happen to to grow together. And that requires both active work and, and also just, yeah, again, that like luck of like continuing to want all of the the same things. So yeah, I I still I I do. I love weddings. I love other people's proposal love, yeah. stories. I love um I I love yeah, I'm a great wedding guest. And <laughs> yeah, maybe I maybe I will have a wedding of my own someday. I don't I don't know and I don't know what that will look like, but no I pressure. You guys, I will yeah. keep you guys posted, you yeah. know, if that happens. <sighs> That leads into how do we navigate the distribution of household tax tasks with our partners? I am the word. I never ask for help. And then I explode when I don't get it. And my poor <laughs> like, husband really is like, you didn't ask. He's one of those that like, you know, there are husbands and men out there, partners, anyone who will just do it. Like they, they just do the chores. My husband likes to get assigned a task. He likes to know what he's doing. Like he, he needs to have a schedule of events for his life. 
And I'm one of those people that's like, you should know to do the dishes. Like, you should know to take the garbage out. Um, I need to work on that. I really need to work on like just being like, if you could help me this week with this and this and this, things would run smoother. But I'm like, I got it. I got it. I'm one of those people that's like, I could do it all. I'm good. And then I have a nervous breakdown when I do it all. Because <laughs> the yeah, mental load it- of a mother is insane. Like, it's just dads really don't get that part of it. Like, I don't, you know, well, the doctor's not appointments. The same, and there's the, not the same social expectations. Yes. Like, when you are dealing with a straight couple, there are different gendered expectations that you are grappling with. And I think for a lot of straight men, it does really require extra intentionality to, mm-hmm. to be 50-50 because women and girls tend to be socialized to be caretakers, to take care of things, to believe that that's like part of of their skill set naturally in some way. And we know that that's all constructed and bullshit. But when things are ingrained, you do have to to very actively work against that instinct. Um, I'll say with with my partner, yeah, I think we're still, we still kind of try to navigate it. We have... Um, differing anxieties about different like cleanliness things. So yeah, I um, have a pretty high tolerance for clutter, like honestly. And he, and he doesn't. But I'm really, <laughs> and he doesn't. It really like stresses him out, like piles of books and stuff. But I'm, I have a very low tolerance for like any like crumbs of food being left in the sink. Like it's mm-hmm, disgusting. Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. I'm, I always say like, I admit I am kind of a messy person. I'm not a dirty person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And those are different things to me. Um, and so in a way it's like some things have just sort of naturally happened. Like he's better at consistently like putting in the laundry and remembering to, you know, change it out. And so like, I kind of, put in my laundry when he does his. And then yeah. I'm the one who will always be like loading the dishwasher, making sure the dishes are done and and unpacking it. When that kind of just like, yeah, that it's kind of just flow. sorts itself out naturally. And I, you know, it's, it's easier. It's just the two of us. So like, I don't have to be as regimented about it because there's not like another human. It's just the two of us. So I can do my like get messy for a week thing. And then just spend like three hours one day cleaning the whole apartment. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that's sort of my vibe. Like let it pile up, let it pile up, let it pile up, yeah. clean everything. Yeah. I'm like, my house is chaos during the day. And then at night I put on a podcast or some it's, HGTV inc- oh, and I have to clean up because my kids are like crumb incredible. monsters. Like there's freaking stuff everywhere, toys everywhere. Although now that my daughter is five, she like helps with dishes and it's fun for her. It's fun to like stack the dishwasher. But your younger my, daughter is a toddler, so she's just no. But around. she's incre- she's incredible too because with my first, I learned that I never made her clean up. Like I would clean up after her. So with my second, I'm like, where do your shoes go? Where does the garbage go? She knows. See, oh, if you smart. teach them young, you learn. You they learn. learn. So yeah. I'm teaching Josephine more social skills where I taught Teddy <laughs> like her ABCs and her colors. Uh, <laughs> Josephine's like, much more socially aware. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both really cute. Um, I enjoyed this question. How do you keep up, quote, fashion-wise, living in New York City? I'd go broke. We have both been long, like lovers of Rent the Runway. Like I've had Rent the Runway for like, I feel like 
I feel like almost a decade. Yeah, and I pause yeah. it, like I pause it on slow Same. months. And then I'll I buy like basics, it. things that I like great jeans, good white shirt, good skirt, things that I can like miss, mix and match. But otherwise I am a run the runway girl for sure. Yeah, I do a lot of Rent the Runway, a lot of Newly. I'll kind of switch between the two platforms. I'll pause them. Um, I I love to shop something that I'm working on. It was really a comfort to me during COVID. So, you know, working through the psychology of that. But I, I will say that, like, ultimately, no one really keeps up. I think it is... I think in New York, it's actually maybe less about trendiness than you'd think and more about the confidence to have Mm -hmm. a strong sense of style. And I think those are different things. Like I see incredibly cool looking teenagers walking around my Brooklyn neighborhood all the time and they are not dressed in like incredibly expensive things. I mean, I'm sure some of them have a shit ton of money. Like that's just, yes, New York, there's a lot of rich people. But there's also ways that you can like thrift, you, yes. there are, you it's know, a vibe. It's Abercrombie personality. Also great for basics these so days. Great. I'll supplement, you know, with a little bit of fast fashion. I do try to keep that to more of a minimum, but also a lot of like great secondhand vintage shops. And because you're in New York City, the selection is actually really good. Um, so there's a consignment shop in Brooklyn called Consignment Brooklyn that I love to both consign with Um, when I get tired of my clothes because I think it's really fun to like send your clothes off into the wild and have Mm -hmm. a second life. And then I also will often like I'll go, I'll consign things, I'll make a little money and then I'll often just buy new cool things that other people, you know, grew grew tired of. Um, Yeah, my other favorite luxury consignment person is Erica Sabog, who um, she has a store in Jersey, but she's in Brooklyn on the weekends during from like October until May every year. I'm very excited for her to come back. I think she comes back at the end of the month. She's on Block Island over the summer. And I've gotten so many great things for at like crazy steep discounts, like crazy, just like, you know, Manolo Blahniks that they are still that are the current season being sold for $800 that I got for like $140. That's amazing. Yeah. Erica so like, yeah, I'll send, I'll, yeah, I'll send you her info. You know, I'm on the Jersey so, side. So <laughs> yes. Um, so like, yeah, I'd say that like, especially as sustainable fashion is being spoken about more like the environmental impact of fast fashion. I, yeah, I'm really enjoying both renting stuff and also, shopping yeah secondhand I'm also one of those people that like I hang on to things for so long and I kind of like rotate my closet and then I'll discover items of mine from years ago that I'm like does this still fit this is back but it's a vibe you have to it's it's all about your personality your style like I'm kind of a boho kind of girl I'm I've always been like a free people loving so all of my free people pieces still sort of work with I mean, now 2012 vibe. is back. So, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> there's things that Bell we. Bell bottoms are coming back. <laughs> have since, yeah, exactly. Which is really, um, which is really fun. And yeah, I also, something else that I love is that I follow this influencer, Lydia Jane Tomlinson, I think is her name. She's British. She's like in her late 20s, lives in Manchester, UK. But she, I like her stuff because her thing is all about maximizing your wardrobe and how to 
like how to style key pieces and how to elevate the look of outfits with with things that you already have. And she'll she'll link all of her items, but I feel like it's less about you need to buy a million more things and more about like if you have this handful of basics, then you can have fun with accessories and trendier mm-hmm. pieces. But these things will like work with a lot of different things. And yes. I've been trying to maximize my wardrobe that way and like invest in things like t-shirts I know mm-hmm. will go with a lot of things or like and fall nicely or like a a neutral skirt that can be paired with a bunch of different fun tops mm-hmm. stuff like that it's way to do it what is your favorite Halloween or fall activity apple picking I love I'm such, I love it I'm too so basic. apple picking I love apple picking I love the apple cider donuts I love that a lot of the orchards around here are like have live music or like barbecue like you can get food you can get lunch and it's like people of all ages people with kids people without kids old people young people it's just really fun um and also i rewatch practical magic every year (laughs) it's so good i love practical magic uh yeah cideries love going to a cidery halloween with my kids is the best now you kind of relive your own childhood when you go trick-or-treating again uh, and I love the Renaissance Fair. I go oh, every it's year. Oh, a good one. <laughs> I, like, again, I'm like a fantasy girl. But I the line to week. get there sometimes, the traffic is insane. <laughs> but uh, secret thing about my husband is he used to work at the Renaissance Fair as a kid. because his mom, Yeah, his mom would volunteer. So him and his brothers would like work and be knights and squires. <laughs> Oh and I my always God. found How that hilarious. So he took me. Will. Yeah, he this took me amazing. to my first Renaissance fair, and <laughs> I've never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm learning so much about Will. I love that. <laughs> Next question: Do you have any great book recommendations? Um, just another little plug for our newsletter, Rich Text, clarendemma.substack.com, <laughs> because we offer reading recommendations every week and that's for our free list so you should subscribe it's so good you don't have to pay it's free we give you recommendations on things to watch listen to um read and buy every week but some books that i have read this summer that i really loved um my murder by i believe katie williams was really interesting it's about like a near distant future where this government organization called the Replication Commission brings back five women who are all victims of the same serial killer. And they are like acclimating to to back into their lives. Um, And it's told from one of their perspectives. And it's just, it's really fun. And it's less like the premise is really like kind of sci-fi-y, but the vibe of the book I think is less. Like, I don't think you have to be like a sci-fi fan for it to land. It's much more using that as a way in to like meditate on what it means to be a woman, to be a mother, to like feel stifled by the expectations of those roles. And yeah, there it's really, really fun. I also loved Ellen Hildebrand's Five Star Weekend. It was her latest Nantucket novel. Oh, I've heard great devoured things it, about it. Devoured yeah. it. It's, I just, she, oh my God, just her descriptions of Nantucket, the way she deals with class and um, and, and friendship. And then also just like her books are so fun. They're propulsive. I loved Emma Klein's The Guest. 
mm-hmm. a very claustrophobic yeah. book that, yeah, takes place over the course of like five days in the Hamptons, but they never say the word Hamptons. Um, and I, yeah, I actually read it all in one day when I was in the Hamptons and it just felt the setting was perfect. And I was like, she she just reads the culture of these like rich summer enclaves for filth while also the narrator is a really unlikable woman in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. I just, I like unreliable, unlikable narrators. I think it's really fun. Uh, the last novel I read this summer that I thought was really fun was Emma Rosenblum's Bad Summer People about a bunch of people that summer every year. They're all like in their 40s, um, summer every year in, I think, yeah, in one neighborhood of Fire Island. And it's like there's infidelity and there's murder and there's like scamming. And it's it's a, another book that deals with class expectations and satirizing the rich. And like, apparently these are just themes I really enjoy. Ooh. Did you read Happy Place? That's like the one book I read. Oh, I did. You know, I did. Yeah. I did read Happy Place. So yeah, a couple breaks up. But they go on their annual trip with their friends who don't know that they're not together. Um, I enjoyed that one. I just started to Colleen Hoover's, like, It Ends With Us. I'm, like, so behind with that, but... I haven't read any Colleen Hoover. I feel like I have to... That's the... Because she's... Uh, Blake Lively's doing yeah. her, her the movie. I, uh, but I, I really don't that. have that lot of, a lot of time to read anymore, which is such a bummer. But I'm hoping I will now that... The kids are back on a school schedule. And yeah. No, I, o- I honestly only do it like when I'm on like a, a short vacation. Like all yeah. of these books were read like on a short weekend away where I could sit by a pool or just like in silence on a couch for three hours at a time and just yeah. read. I need to go on a flight or something. So I can yeah, just you, be exactly. alone. You need to read. be like trapped <laughs> somewhere where you're alone. <sighs> what is one thing you would tell your younger self? This was hard for me, but I think my biggest thing is like embracing the high highs and the low lows of life. I feel like um, when I'm in my highs, I don't, I try to realize it, but um, you know, you, you, I don't want to say I was ungrateful, but I look back now and I'm like, wow, that was such a great time in my life or when I did this or that. And then the low lows, uh, you know, really teach you about who you are and your character and, and ways to grow. I know that, um, you know, I've, I mentioned it before, but I had a miscarriage a few years ago and that's one of those moments in life that you're like, uh, it changes you and who you are, but also I feel like makes you a better person. And I, it has definitely made me a more grateful mom and mother to my children. Cause I know what loss feels like. And I think that experience will definitely help my children in a way too down the line. That's how I like to look at it. But yeah, if I could tell my younger self anything, it would be, you know, not everything is sunny and roses, but it's really the the sadder moments or moments of grief and things like that that you can grow from. Absolutely. I think that that's beautifully said. I I think I would tell my younger self like Oh, it, it depends on like what I'm talking to my younger self about. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think um in, enjoy this moment. Like I spent mm. a lot of time when I was younger being so anxious about 
specifically about dating, about being single. Um, and I, yeah, I would tell myself like, enjoy, enjoy this, enjoy the beauty, enjoy the freedom. You don't, you don't get this time back. So like mm. try to be as present as possible. And of course that's hard because you don't know how, you don't know what the future exactly <laughs> until holds. you're in it. But mm-hmm. as much as you can, enjoy it, hold on to it. And also when it comes to work, I'd say like, say yes to opportunities when they come up and don't be too attached to one singular vision of the future. I guess that really goes for anything. Don't be attached to one vision of what your future life could look like because things change and you should allow space for that. And those changes can lead to like the best things. I love that so much. I'm in that now because I've, you know, I've taken on this theater teaching job where I teach kids. I love that you're doing that. (laughs) Because I was like a musical theater girl growing up and it's, you know, being freelance has allowed me time to do that. And it's really sparked a new joy for me. And it's really fulfilling work um, where you get to see kids grow and you're giving back to your community. So I always, I love that advice. It's just like, don't be afraid or upset with change, but like look towards the future or something different that you can do or something that you've always wanted to try or, you know, don't have the the only certainty in life, right? Things are going to change. As you said, and you know, earlier, and this kind of dovetails into our next question, which is like, do you miss working at HuffPost? What's your advice for people who have been laid off? But I think something, as you said earlier, like we knew it, that our era at HuffPost was was not going to happen forever, that we mm-hmm. were in this like kind of magical moment of working with all of these people who were largely in a similar stage of life to us, um, who had a lot of time to like really invest in social ties and learn a lot from each other. And it was it was incredible. It was incredible. I wouldn't trade those years for anything. Um, I think we also knew, especially at the end, like once we yeah. all survived many rounds of layoffs that like was coming for us at some point. <laughs> so I, while it was yeah. upsetting and jarring when it happened, um, it also wasn't totally surprising. No. Yeah. And it I didn't feel personal, I'd say. Not really. at all. Um, I think I miss, yeah, I miss the people the most Me for too. sure. I miss the there people. were there were so many amazing people at HuffPost, and so many people who you know you spent a decade with who you loved them, their partners, their families, their you know you'd hang out in the city. I miss the city like culture too has changed a little bit, but I miss just going out. Um, I know we had oh with my, God, my coworkers. Just, like, it was so fun. We would just like go to different bars like every day for a happy yeah. hour. <laughs> like, <laughs> I miss going to screen screenings with my buddies Bill Bradley and Matt Jacobs. Aww, and like I miss man. I miss them so much. My work husbands love them. Um but everybody's yeah. doing great things and, and a lot of us are freelancing now. Like it's just kind of Yeah a lot of us the vibe. go back to a newsroom just like that look that's where our industry is at. There are a lot fewer jobs. I know people who got laid off when we did got new jobs and have been laid off again since then. Yeah. So like it's just um, I'd say like advice for people who've been laid off, like, first of all, be kind to yourself. Like you're allowed to have a big emotional reaction to it. Like, even though I kind of was like, this is for the best. I knew this was going to happen. Maybe I was ready to be done. Maybe this is going to be exciting. There also was like a grief process, mm-hmm. um, and shock that, that I think we all had to deal with in that moment. And a lot of like anger, like, and that's real and that's okay. And you should sit with that. Uh, and also, yeah, take the, if you are pushed off of the hamster wheel, 
take the opportunity to think about what you want your work life to look like. And there are certain things that are just realities. Like if you need certain health insurance or you Mm -hmm. need money that you cannot guarantee uh, in a less regular job, like, yeah, you might have to just hustle and try to find whatever you can. Like there are, it is a gift and a privilege to be able to have the space um, to reevaluate your work life. And I think we benefited a lot from the fact that we were unionized under the Writers Guild. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Writers Guild. And so we all were guaranteed a baseline of severance. Um, And so we were not just like thrust into a place where we didn't have any income and didn't Mm -hmm. have any healthcare. And so like, yeah very pro-union. Yes, that me too. ruled. And I think, um, and too, was like, a layoff uh, affects anyone in your household as well. You know, my husband was freelance before I was. He worked in the film industry. And he took on a full-time job so that we could have health insurance and so that I could be home with my kids. So, you know, it's a layoff affects everybody yeah. uh, in, your, in your house. And, and you have to change and grow and, and figure out what works for you and your family. And it's hard. It definitely can also be exciting. Exactly. It's really hard, but also it can be exciting and you can find um, new opportunities or like try things that you were too scared to try because you didn't want to upset the stability you had. You know, I Mm -hmm. know that Claire and I were talking about like, what if we could take the podcast independent for a couple of years before we were laid off? That was a conversation that Mm -hmm. we were having but it felt so insane to like leave our good stable jobs that gave us really good leave and vacation time and healthcare. Yeah. Like I I don't think we would have just jumped. Um but when we were forced to there was met, also an yeah. opportunity. We figured it that. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our last question is where do you think uh, where do you think is really the perfect place to fall in love? And I said a bar. <laughs> I met my husband at a bar in New York City. I mean, back, this was like before apps were really a big thing. So I I am privileged that way to have met. But I met him through a friend uh, from college. And, you know, I feel like you can meet your perfect person anywhere. It's just like a matter of if you guys are in the same place at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Any, any place can be the perfect place yeah. to fall in love. <laughs> But do you agree uh, you with know. a bar? What's your what's your perfect place, Emma? I don't know. A bar's good. A dating app is good. A reality show's good. Literally anywhere. Yep. Anywhere can be the perfect place to, <laughs> to fall in love. Not necessarily all the best story, but, you know, it's really about the person. Yeah, it's not about the story. It's about the person. I don't know. People People fall in love in all sorts of weird and also really boring and mundane places. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a, I feel like that's like a cop-out answer, but like... Yeah, they want us to be like, love is blind, go in the pods. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like absolutely not the perfect... That's one of the worst places <laughs> to fall in love. <laughs> Fiji. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Fiji looks really nice. <laughs> looks really nice to fall in love there. Or like, you know, any... Um, location where you're on vacation seems like a really nice place to fall in love. But yeah, most likely the perfect place to fall in love is like at a bar, a dive bar, at a restaurant <laughs> or um, at work, 
like on Hinge or Bumble <laughs> or at work. Yeah. Or yeah. at the office. But, you know, with someone who is um, not abusing their power to try yeah, yeah. to make out with you. <laughs> yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's be side, clear. Side note. Let's be yeah, clear. Side note. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lee, this was really fun. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. I'm sorry we couldn't get to every single one of your questions, but I think we we hit a, a large number of them. Mm-hmm. And on that note, that is it for this episode of Love to See It with Emma and Lee. Love to See It is produced by us, Emma Gray, Lee Blickley, and Stitcher. And this episode was edited by Talon Stradley. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Matarana is our executive producer. If you like our show, please remember to follow us, rate us five stars, leave a review, you know, all the things you would do to support a podcast you love. And of course, tell all of your friends about Love to See It. Yes, and have them listen to this episode so they can get to know us a little bit more. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at claireandemmapod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok at Love to See It Pod and on Instagram at claireandemmapod. And you can find our newsletter, Rich Text, on Substack at claireandemma.substack.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at EmmaLadyRose. And I'm at LeeBZ. We'll be back next week for my first rom-com rewatch. Stitcher. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.